Good morning. I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, My prayer is that you will sense God this morning in the meeting and in the message. I pray that you will sense God speaking to you in these next 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, So, you know, I invite you to ask God to open up your heart to hear. And I also invite you to ask God to pray for me that I would be enabled to speak in such a way that, that you are able to hear and not just hear words, but to really hear things deep within you and to receive um, from God. And my prayer today is that we could get beyond knowing we should think Jesus is awesome to really feeling that way about him. And the message of Hebrews largely is to help us appreciate Jesus. It's largely to help us appreciate who he is and all that he has done, all that we have in him, and then to not turn away from him to anything or anybody else as the basic solution to life, to life's problems, and as a means of our salvation, joy, and hope. And I think it is, I think it is very hard for us to imagine just how highly the Jews regarded Moses and the prophets, and the angels. And to, to the Jews, these beings were the most esteemed things in their world. And it was right that they had such a high view of them because God had raised up Moses to speak to his people and to lead them. God had spoken through the prophets and revealed much about himself and about the future and his plans for the, for the world and for his people. And God had done mighty and awesome things for his people through his angels. And none of that was to be discounted. But all of them were to be superseded by someone inexpressibly superior, and that is Jesus. Moses and the prophets and the angels are awesome But they cannot remain in the foreground because Jesus, the Messiah, is here. And Jesus puts everyone and everything else in the background, not because they are worthless or of no value, but because he is infinitely greater. It's when, you know, when the sun rises in the morning sky on a summer day, the moon and the stars are not seen anymore, not because they aren't there but because of the vastly greater light of the sun. And not to trivialize this passage in in any way, but to really understand this passage, we might have to consider what the author would say if he were writing this to Christians in America today. And he might proclaim how Jesus is greater than your football team, or sports in general, or Hollywood, or pop, or country music, or rock and roll. He would tell us, he might tell us that Jesus, well, he for sure would tell us that Jesus is the one ultimately deserving our enthusiasm, our shouts, our cheers, and our worship. He might tell us that Jesus is greater than liberal or conservative politics, reminding us that Jesus is the only one who can transform people and society. 
He might tell us that Jesus is greater than the name of science, reminding us that Jesus is the one who created all that science studies. And he already knows all that scientists seek to figure out. He might admonish us that Jesus is is greater than being on the right side of history or being on the right side of public opinion because Jesus himself is the truth. And in the end will be all that matters. He might tell us that Jesus is greater than than all the counselors and psychologists and self-help writers. He is the shepherd of our souls, the healer of our hearts, our counselor and friend. He might tell us that Jesus is greater than those with impressive academic credentials. He alone has all information and all knowledge on every subject in the universe. Or he might write to us that Jesus is greater than celebrity pastors or celebrity Christians. He himself is the chief shepherd, the star of the church, and we are all under his feet. All honor and glory go to him alone. And of course, I'm not seeking to, be, to belittle sports or people or things that I've mentioned, only to show that Jesus is infinitely greater than anything or anyone we might be tempted to value, that we might be tempted to elevate above him. He is infinitely greater that we, than anybody that we might tend to lean on or listen to or follow or be impressed by. And he is infinitely greater than anything or anyone that we might be tempted to turn to or to turn back to when life gets really hard. Now, mentally, I think most believers would say, of course, you're not telling me anything new. But do we believe that in our hearts? Are, are, we, are we walking in that? And if we, if we see Jesus for who he is... I believe with all my heart we will start walking, we will start living in this sense of immense privilege. We will just carry this sense in our hearts and our lives that we are a person of immense privilege. Paul said, Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's Colossians 2, 6, and 7. We're to be walking with Jesus. We receive Jesus. Now we're to just walk with Jesus in the sense as we're, as we're rooted in our faith in him, as we grow in our faith and our eyes are turned toward him, and we're to walk in the sense where, we, where, where I, I cannot think of a better way to describe it than just we have this sense of immense privilege and our hearts are just overflowing with gratitude toward Jesus and all he's done for us. And if we're, n- we're not living in the sense of, of, of gratitude and privilege, the solution is a greater vision of Jesus. It's not to turn aside to something else and to say, oh, that Jesus doesn't work for me. The solution is to get a greater vision of Jesus. The Jewish Christians to whom this letter was written were undergoing severe persecution And later on in the book, 
uh, the writer tells us that some, some of them had their homes confiscated. I don't know what all that meant, but you know, they, they probably had their enemies came, came in and probably ransacked their homes or vandalized their places. And in some cases, they were, they were actually taken away from them. They lost their homes. And the writer said they, you know, they handled that well. It's like amazing. You guys accepted the seizure of your property with, with joy. You're so, you're so excited about Jesus, so captivated by the wonder of Jesus, that that didn't even, didn't even didn't bother you. So they had handled that initial suffering well, but they had grown weary under their unrelenting trials. And some of them, at least, were tempted to turn back from Christ to the old familiar Jewish system and sacrifices. So they were in danger. There was a danger of them giving up, quitting, throwing away their confidence in Jesus. And that's later on in the book. It says, don't throw away your confidence. Keep, keep a hold on to Jesus. And the whole book is, here's why you shouldn't throw away your confidence. Tough times, and I mean really tough times, do reveal what we really trust in to help heal and fix ourselves. Tough times reveal what we really do trust in to get us through the day and through our life. And prolonged and severe trials have a way of burning away our words and our empty professions and reveal what we really turn to, what we really trust in. And the things that we really place our confidence in are revealed by the fire of trials. And if those fiery trials reveal an enduring confidence in Jesus, then they have shown the genuineness of our faith and trust. But if we really, at the heart of the matter, behind our words, behind our professions, if we really trust in something or someone else to solve life, to get us through hard times, that will be shown by trials too. Now, the message of Hebrews is that Jesus is God's ultimate and final answer to our human condition. His work in removing our sins is completely sufficient. His work in bringing us to God, bringing us into God's very presence is perfect. His presence with us through trials and temptations is all we ever need. Hebrews seven twenty-five. he is able to save completely, or some versions say he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. That's, a, that's an amazing statement. I mean, Jesus is able, he's able to save you completely in every area of life, in every need, today, tomorrow, and clear to the end. It's a complete salvation that, that never ends. It's just amazing, amazing what, what good a shape you're really in, if you just believe this. However dark and deep the needs of your soul, no matter how desperately you feel you need fixing, no matter the sins of your past or present struggles, He's able to save you completely. He is sufficient to save you today and tomorrow. Tomorrow, Therefore, 
The message of the, of the book of Hebrews is keep on looking to him. Keep on looking to him. Don't turn aside to anything or anybody else. Keep drawing near to God through him and do so boldly and with confidence. It's impossible to make too much of Jesus. It is impossible to elevate him too much, to love him too much, to worship him too much. It's impossible to have too much confidence in him. He is the supreme and sufficient and only Savior you need. Well, in this passage that we have before us this morning, the writer of Hebrews shows us specifically the superiority of Jesus above angels. And as, as I said in the opening, angels were held in such high esteem in the Jewish mind. And so one way that that the author can show that, that Jesus is, is so superior is to compare him to angels and, and to show, show Jesus' superiority. Uh, this is not intended to diminish angels uh, or to devalue them or dis- dismiss them as irrelevant. In fact, it is, it is the reality that angels are wonderful beings that show how wonderful Jesus is. Um, so the logic is, very simply put, angels are awesome, but Jesus is more awesome. <laughs> Jesus is vastly superior to even these awesome beings called angels. And one more thing, this is not to say that angels have no role in our lives now. The book of Acts show the ongoing work of Jesus just everywhere. As we just finished teaching through the book, even after Jesus had ascended to heaven, angels had a role in serving and speaking to, comforting uh, people, delivering from prison, you know, working to help and serve us um, as believers. But his goal is to stir up our worship of Jesus and our confidence in Jesus by helping us to comprehend just how far above angels Jesus really is. I don't know about you, but, you know, if there was an angel that was standing at the foot of my bed some morning, I'd be pretty impressed. But if we would be impressed by an angel standing at the end of our bed some morning, we should be countless times over more impressed with Jesus with us day and night all the time. So here's what the author says, and this is a this is a profound passage. There's a lot to it. Uh, I feel that I can only really hit the high points, and I trust that you'll dig into it, and that the Spirit of God will even show you greater things uh, from this passage. But here's the things that that I see. First, Jesus is God's Son. God is father to him. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Well, the answer is zero, none. He never said that to an angel. No angel is ever given the unique privilege of being the son of God. It belongs to Jesus only. Even before there were angels, the father and Jesus had this father-son relationship that was completely unique 
and personal and intimate, and it was theirs alone. Uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote that John 17, 42, which I'll read for you in a second, gives us the opportunity to eavesdrop on an intimate conversation between God the Son and God the Father before the heavens and the earth were created. In John 17, 42, Jesus says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. So think about this. Think with me. Before the first words in the Bible, and actually this is Francis Schaeffer. These are not, this is not my insight, Francis Schaeffer. So before the first words in the Bible, in the beginning, there was a loving father. And before, in the beginning, there was a real son, loving, adoring, praising, and enjoying a very real father. It's amazing. This fa- Jesus and the father have been in this eternal father-son relationship. The father's always loved the son. The son has adored and loved the father. Um, it's gone on for all eternity. And so this father-son relationship also reveals the divinity of Jesus. He is God's one and only son. He is the same nature with the father. He is the eternal son of God. John put it in chapter one, in the beginning, he was God and he was with God. So this unique privilege of sonship places Jesus above angels. It also places Jesus far above anyone else in your life too. When you see that Jesus is the Son of God, when you see that he has the 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 highest honor, the top position in the universe, it, free, it frees you up from really paying attention to anybody but him. You can stop being impressed by people. You can stop trying to impress people. You can stop fearing people. You can stop trying to please people. You can stop being obsessed with what other people think about you or might be saying about you. You can stop bowing to what our culture says you need to believe and think. Josh referred to this last Sunday, but on the mountaintop, God thundered from heaven and said, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Listen to him. Who are you really listening to today? Really, who you're really listening to. Who or what really has your attention. And maybe it's nobody else. Maybe, it's, maybe you're just paying attention to your own self and your own thoughts. Are you paying t- attention to your own opinions and, and feelings and fears? Are you listening to the latest messaging from the world? Or are you just tuned in? To God's son, I mean, you got you got your. I guess you don't. Radios don't have dials anymore. But are you dialed in to Jesus? Are you dialed in to His voice? Tuned in, listening to Him. The Bible tells us, uh, take every thought, take every single thought captive, and make it obey Christ. 
Are you doing that? He's worthy of that. He is the Son of God. He's the highest place in the universe. Listen. He is my Son, God says. Listen to Him. Number two, second point of the the author of Hebrews. Two, uh, God commands worship to Jesus. He commands worship from angels. Verse six, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. The role of the angels is to worship Jesus. It's not stated here, but the assumption is very clear. The lesser always worships the greater. Therefore, because angels are commanded to worship the Son, therefore Jesus is superior to angels. In fact, every person and everything in the universe is made to worship Jesus Christ as Lord. The last, very last sentence in the book of Psalms says, Let everything that has breath... Praise the Lord. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. There's a sense that angels, angels are called upon. They're commanded to bless the Lord, to worship him, to praise him, just like we are. And so along with the angels, I mean, with sense we do the same thing. Along with the angels, we bless the Lord. Along with the angels, we worship Jesus. And I've shared this before, but one of the the best definitions of worship I've ever heard is worship means extravagant love and extreme obedience. And so we show that to Jesus. We show him an extravagant love from our hearts, and we we, we worship him in a a sense, at least what other people would consider extreme obedience. It's not extreme. Um, Romans says it's your reasonable (laughs) service of worship. But it looks extreme. But when we see Jesus, who he is, it's just perfectly reasonable. So you get on your knees every day and you say, Lord, I I submit my thoughts to you. I submit my emotions to you. I submit my will to you today. I want you to be lifted up in the way I handle everything that comes at me today. I honor you as Lord today, all day long. I, I love you and I trust you with my needs and my problems. I will not insult you by talking and living like I have no confidence in you. Instead, I will boast of your goodness and your greatness and your salvation and that you are with me and that you are my help and my strength. And we also, we also worship him with, with praise and with joy, with songs and even shouts. And I know, you know, some, some, that may sound kind of foreign to some people. Um, we worship him with thanksgiving and with gratitude. I am not great at scripture memory at all. And I, I, don't, I don't want you to think I've memorized a lot of scripture because I haven't, at least not recently. I did many decades ago. But... Uh, I've been been uh, memorizing a few passages uh, of late. Uh, I did Psalm 23. I think Josh stirred up my heart to do that, and then uh, so blessed by Psalm 95. I I've memorized that, and I've just I've just been stating it 
every morning for several weeks and, and actually going through Psalm 23 and Psalm 95 uh, each morning along, along, with, along with our same page, whatever it is we're doing, Scripture reading. But anyway, Psalm, Psalm 95 says, it starts out, Come, let us sing joyfully to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout with songs of praise to him, for the Lord is an awesome God, a great king above all divine beings. That's exactly what Hebrews is saying. That's exactly what the the author of Hebrews is telling us. Jesus is a great king, even among all the angels of all the divine beings. Let us sing, let us shout, let us give thanksgiving. Let us shout with songs of praise to him. It, 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 it's, a, it's a great way to, f- to focus your mind in the morning and kind of get you in the right, right direction. So, yes, yeah, so that's Psalm 95. If you want to try it, do so. And let, let, me know, let me know what it does for your heart. And this is how we, this is how we are called... And I know this is a much higher place than most of us live. I get that, okay? I get that. Just be honest. But that's how we are called to live life Monday afternoon, Thursday morning, Saturday night, and every other time. That, that's the frame of heart and mind that we are called to live in in the kingdom of God. We, we live a life of worship of Jesus. And you might say, well, that's not really possible. And we probably all sometimes think that. But I ask you, have you, have you really tried it? I mean, really, seriously tried it? Have you really given your, 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 all your focus and attention and your will to this? I mean, David says, I will praise the Lord. I will do this. It's a choice. It's a choice we make. Yeah, we said we we're, we we come with a resolute heart and say, okay, that's how I am going to live. It's, I mean, God said, let all the angels worship Him. Well, he's also said that to you, saying, let John, let Tom, let Cindy, let Reed, let Pam, let all God's people, let all of you worship. The Son. Peter said, But in your hearts, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In in other words, your life and words and your face will display the hope and this sense of optimism that come from exalting Jesus in your heart, from revering him, from appreciating him in your heart. And people will start asking, how did you get that? How do you live like that? How do you think like that? How do you face life like that? And it opens up an opportunity for us to give a reason for the hope that we have. But if in reality, in our hearts... We are worshiping our fears or our problems or money or a person or something in our past. That will show too. 
that will show too. And people won't be asking us why we have so much hope. And I, I'm not, this is not to condemn anyone. I mean, it's, it does convict, convicts me. But it, it's, to, it's to show us how important it is that we actually do revere and worship and appreciate and think much of Jesus inside our hearts. So let us all worship Jesus with the angels. Third, Jesus is addressed as God with an everlasting throne. Angels are addressed as servants. Verse 7, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits. I think uh, that's NIV, the, the ESV that Josh had in the bullet actually says winds. He makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Okay, it says angels are spirits. Or they're like, like the wind, servants, flames of fire. I mean, those are pretty awesome descriptions, wouldn't you say? But Jesus is God. And he, he's of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. He is on the throne of the universe, and he will be forever and ever. Jesus will rule the world to come. I read a, a, I don't know how, I can't remember how I ran across it, but John Piper has a, a message titled, Who Will Rule the World to Come? The answer in his message is Jesus and you. But we rule because we reign with him because he reigns. He will rule forever and ever. So if you, if you, if you want to be on the winning side, if you want to be on the right side of history, if you want to, in the end, be on the victorious, reigning, ruling side, follow and believe in and worship Jesus. Fourth, Jesus is unique among all others, not one in a group of many, as are the angels. I take this from verse 9. Jesus, Jesus is the anointed one. God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. The ESV, which is in your bulletin, said he has uh, anointed you with the oil. I think of gladness. Uh, it says uh, beyond. That's the word I wanted to point out. Beyond your companions. So uh, above your companions and beyond your companions. There are many angels. There's one Jesus. Jesus is above all. He's beyond all. He has no rival. He has no equal, as we sing. And we're to view him that way. You're to view him that way. He, he can't just be one of your interests. He can't just be one of your friends. He has to be the only one, the one above and beyond everything and everyone else. Fifth, Jesus has the most joy, even more than angels. Verse 9 again, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. But I want to focus here on this phrase, he has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Uh, The contemporary English version says, I appointed you and made you happier than any of your friends. Jesus, Jesus is happier than any other human or divine being. 
Jesus is happier than the angels. He, and it's just, it's just like, okay, Jesus is superior in every way. He's even happier than these guys. And Jesus told his disciples, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus alone can give you his very own joy. He alone can make your joy total or or full. Angels can't do that. Your spouse can't do that for you. Changing spouses couldn't do that for you. Your sports team can't do that for you. Getting rid of all your problems can't do that for you. Changing jobs or going to another church can't do that for you. There is really no other way in the universe to get this kind of joy except Jesus. So don't, don't deceive yourself into thinking that, oh, I just, I just need to do that, and then that, 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 that'll, that'll fix me. No, only Jesus can fix you. Verse 9 tells us why he has been given uh, such joy. I, didn't, I purposely didn't read the opening phrase because I wanted to emphasize it right here. He says, because you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God has given you this joy, joy above all of your companions. A, a love for righteousness and a hatred of wickedness does not make a person sour or glum or angry, but instead it brings an anointing of gladness and joy and happiness. It's not, it's not wrong to love righteousness and it's not wrong to hate wickedness. God anointed Jesus with joy specifically because he did those two things. He loved righteousness and he hated what was wicked. It's not, it's not, I, know, I know there is such a thing as kind of a legalistic judgmental attitude toward people but it's 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 not wrong to hate wickedness if we love what god loves if we hate what he hates god smiles on us and fills us with his joy psalm 68 3 says let the righteous be glad and sing for joy Sixth, Jesus is the creator, not a created being, as are the angels. Verse 10, he, he also says, in the beginning, Lord, and he's, this, is, this is God the Father dress, addressing Jesus, the Son. He says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. The one who creates has to be greater than the one who's created it. Jesus is creator. Angels are the work of his hands. He created them. We are the work of his hands. He created us. And so just by right of being creator of angels, by right of being creator of us, by right of being creator of everything in the heavens and the universe, the seen and the unseen, and I think there's a whole lot more that's unseen than what we actually do see, but Jesus himself created all of it, everything. Everything that has been made. It says in Colossians, all things have been created through him and for him. Angels exist for him. We exist for him because 
He made us, and, and that's, that's part of our worship and our appreciation of Jesus. We, 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 we go through life, we walk at least part, through our day somewhat conscious at least that, wow, Jesus made me. He's my creator. I, I owe everything to him. Seventh, Jesus is the Lord to whom everyone, even his enemies, will be in submission. Jesus is Lord, and again, we see the, the idea of, of the supremacy of Jesus and everything and everybody, even his enemies, being subject to him. But again, the reference to angels as servants. Verse 13 and 14, to which, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent out to serve those who will inherit Salvation. Okay, again, you got this. You have this contrast. I hope. I hope you you see it. Um, angels are servants sent out to to serve us, who will inherit salvation. That's a great thing. It's a fantastic role. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to be an angel. But God never said to any angel, "Sit right here at my right hand, and I will make all your enemies a footstool for your feet." God never promised an angel that he would bring everything and everybody under his feet. Only Jesus sits at the Father's right hand. Only Jesus reigns. And all rebels, all enemies, all mockers will be brought down from their proud position to be under the feet of Jesus. I mean, the Jesus that we profess has that kind of honor and power and authority. And there's a verse in Isaiah that says, in that day, the, the proud, the pride of men will be abased and brought low. I mean, there's, God's going to bring about a day when, when, when everything and everybody will be brought beneath Jesus and every knee will bow, every tongue confess and acknowledge, willingly or unwillingly, that Jesus is Lord. All right, to wrap up this morning, I'm going to go back to really what I, what I started talking about at the very beginning. How do we get beyond knowing that we should, that we should think Jesus is awesome to really feeling that way about him? How, how do we get, get beyond just knowing that we should appreciate Jesus and, and begin to really love and value and appreciate him and and how do we begin to walk in this, this sense of immense gratitude, this sense of immense privilege because we're with Jesus and he is with us and he's ours. You know. So and I've got uh, five things I'm going to share r- relatively quickly. And if, if uh, anyone doesn't really seem to land on you, just... Go ahead, just, just go on to the next one. But I, I'm really praying that, that some of these would, would really make a difference. Maybe even for somebody here, just an absolute permanent difference in the way you live life from this Sunday forward. Number one, I just invite you to eagerly delve into the book of Hebrews with us. This book declares and explains the greatness of Jesus and all he has done for us all the way through it and invites us to have this incredible sense of confidence and appreciate in him and appreciation of him. And 
so, you know, I, I would just invite you to, I know, I know you don't think this way about church, but I, th- I, think, I think we should. I just invite you to consider this a very serious course of study to which you're really going to give yourself to as we go through this. And it, man, if you miss a Sunday, go listen to the, to the message. Not because Josh and I have, are you know, such great speakers or anything, but, but because of just our, we're turning our attention to this book. And so, uh, you know, I talked to somebody this week that was going to be going through some uh, advanced course to help, help him in, in his career. Okay, great. Well, do the same thing with, with your spiritual life. You know, do, do the same thing here. Consider this a, a serious course of, of study for your life, for your soul. Number two, pray. And, and really, you know, get alone and, and pray one time, pray many times. Keep, ask, keep, keep asking, seeking, knocking. Pray for the Holy Spirit to impress upon you the value of Jesus. That's called, the Bible word for that is Revelation. You're, you're asking for revelation. You're asking for the Holy Spirit to open your mind and your ears and your heart to, to not just hear things, but to, to know them. And if you see him as he is, that will, that will, that will push everything else you ever loved or, or impressed with into the background, not because, they're, not because they're worthless, but because Jesus is worth so much more. He will become your magnificent obsession. And there's an old song that we sang. I don't know if Luke will ever sing it here again in church, but worship starts with seeing you. And it is such a profound message. Worship starts first with seeing you. And that's why we pray for revelation to see Jesus as he really is, for God to open, to remove remove the the dullness from our hearts, the, 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 the... the fog from our eyes and and to see him and appreciate him more fully. Number three, start actually doing what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, whoever had, this point may surprise you. I, I realize you may think, well, I'm, all, I'm doing everything Jesus told me to do. Uh, well, maybe, okay, maybe you are. God bless you if you are. Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him too and show myself to him. I will show myself to him. Daily obedience results in seeing more of Jesus. So you actually start to love that person that you consider your enemy. You actually start bearing with that person that you've been complaining about in your heart. You actually start forgiving others. You actually start seeking first the kingdom of God. Actually putting things of God first in your life and in what you go to, what you show up for, your time, etc. You develop a secret prayer life. Jesus said, Pray in secret, and the Father rewards you openly. You, 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 you develop that, and, and that's just a few things. But, but you, you do the things that Jesus said to do, and, and amazingly, you're, you're going to find this sense of revelation increasing in your life, where you value Him and appreciate Him more, and you'll find that Jesus show Himself to you. Number four: begin to acknowledge His real presence with you continually throughout your day. 
Later on, I know it's toward the very end of the book of Hebrews, um, but it's, it's something I never get tired of hearing about. Jesus said, I will never leave you or ever forsake you. I'm with you always. I'm with you always. In Matthew, I'm, I'm with you always, every day, clear to the end of the age. And just become developing this consciousness that, okay, Jesus is here with me in the car. Jesus is here with me at the kitchen sink. Jesus is here with me in the office. Jesus is here with me while I'm working on, the, on my car. Jesus is here with me when I'm dealing with this problem. Every, just this, this sense that you're never alone, that Jesus is with, with you. And it, that's, that's what he promised. I'm with you. And then fifth, which really comes, flows out of this, consciously put your confidence in him. Consciously put your confidence in him about everything. But specifically put your confidence in him with that problem or that issue that is immediately in front of you. You, you, you stop worrying about your life and instead you boast that he will take care of you. And that's what it says. Je- Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. What's it, what's, what's it go on to say? So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Do you, do you, do you feel the boasting in that? I mean, that, that's, that's uh, you know, David said, you know, I'm not going to be afraid. I don't, I don't care if a whole army comes out against me. I will not be afraid. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. It's, 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 a, it's placing great confidence that Jesus really does have the answers to my life. Real faith boasts in the Lord. Don't misunderstand me, but I, I believe this with all my heart and from my own experience. There is a certain kind of swagger in real faith. And in fact, I'm not sure I've reached a place of faith about some issue or problem. I'm not sure that I've really reached a place of faith until it becomes a boast. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is, is with me. I confidently say, boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What can any man do to me? It's just, this can't hurt me. God is, the Lord is with me. It's, so the, the message this morning, in a way, is, is a call to boast in the Lord, to boast in Jesus, to see his greatness and his wonder, and, and to make him the thing that you, that you confidently exalt in and boast in. So in, in one sense, uh, this is certainly... M- my, my thought from the book of Hebrews is, but in one sense, the whole book of Hebrews is to get you to boast in Jesus, to boast in his superiority, to boast in his supremacy, to boast in his sufficiency, to boast in him as Savior and the one who purified you from your sins, to boast in him as your Savior.